Well, I'm not, I'm not going to comment. I'll just leave that as it is. All right. <laughs> How was your summer? Summer was good. Man, I don't. I got a microphone in front of my face again. I don't know if I'll remember how to do this. Right. It's hard. Just sitting here and talking. I know. Do I have to relearn how to talk? No, no, no. No. It'll be. It's like catching up. Just like good old times. Good old times. We need a. We need a theme song. I I know I'm using the stock music right now for our intro, but we might need our own theme song. I know. If anyone out there is a composer, musician, producer, willing to work for free, we've got to offer <laughs> snacks, tons of positive encouragement. Funny anecdotes. Yeah. yeah. We're chock full of them. Yeah. Well, speaking of anecdotes, uh, yeah, we figured we'd just start off easy coming in from our summer break. I know that uh, for very different reasons, Courtney and I had uh, some very different experiences uh, this summer, both having to do with air travel do you want to start oh the cursed uh, method of transportation sure um well i don't know mine's not that bad i mean depending on how you look at it but it was good nick and i spent a lot of time uh this summer in airports uh we got married in june <laughs> so we had all of our, our close friends and family uh came to california and we got to celebrate kind of the start of our lives as a married couple which is super exciting so my last name has changed i'm now courtney wright um which has been really fun transition into like this new family that that i that i have that we have um but that how it relates to airports is um our whole wedding went off like pretty much without a hitch it was so, it was so fun like everything that needed to happen happened of course there's like little snafus the microphones didn't work for the ceremony there's like you know all these little things like if something's gonna go wrong it's gonna go wrong right and it did but nothing so big that was prohibitive to our guests enjoying themselves us enjoying ourselves uh, and so we knew that following the wedding something terrible was bound to happen and it did uh, we missed our honeymoon flight. Oh. I know. To Barcelona. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. And we were flying on a budget airline. And so they were um, the opposite of helpful when it came time to uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, making some some modifications. But yeah, we were just in this like, you know, post-marital like bliss. We had done so much planning coming off of a year of founding a school. Like we, we just weren't really thinking. And so we misread our flight times and showed up to LAX uh, and missed our flight. I'm not even a part of the story and my heart is already just crippling in on itself. Yeah, it was painful. It's actually taking a lot to like say it out loud and to know that other people are listening to it. Probably thinking like, God, this girl's an idiot and someone's <laughs> letting her be a teacher. <laughs> It, it was happens. really poor execution, but it came after like such a well-executed wedding and like week-long festivities with friends and family. So it, at, at the very least, like it only affected the two of us. Such as and life, the man. Norwegian Airlines employees that I did cry and scream in front of. Cry and scream. <laughs> and scream. I, I fell onto the floor. It was like seriously as if uh, someone had taken my arm and severed it from my body. <laughs> I was like so devastated. Wow. I, well, I think I'd be pretty <laughs> devastated too. That's actually a strong metaphor and visual yeah yeah so you can just imagine a young courtney wright fetal position floor of the airport it was it was pretty embarrassing so i'm glad i'm sharing that that part of my my summer with you all um but it 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 preceded a very fun vacation we did get to europe we just left a couple days later um and got to see such beautiful architecture and art and learn a ton of history about barcelona and rome and like down the amalfi coast in italy 
It was so spectacular. I love traveling. I love photographing the places I go to. And to get to do it with this, like, new husband by my side was so fun. But, yeah, airports, not my favorite place to be. LAX is dead to me. <laughs> I think it's dead How to a you? lot of people. <laughs> is it dead to you? Uh, yeah. I mean, since we met, it's, <laughs> it's DOA for sure. Um, well, I'm happy that you could feel comfortable to unburden uh, yeah. that story yeah. upon us. <laughs> Uh, and I feel for you, really, I do. Uh, totally different angle with my air travel experience in that we took our first sort of longer flight with the two kids. Oh. Uh, we went to Hawaii this summer, and it was gorgeous and beautiful and super amazing. Had a great time. We did not appropriately prepare for Uh-oh. travel with uh three-year-old and a nine-month-old oh, um, th- but don't get me wrong actually being on the plane they were angels like all that we could ask them to be they were fantastic that's awesome and you know you kind of you get on the plane and everyone starts giving you side eye like oh crap like i'm sitting next to this this toddler and this nine-month-old and be screaming their heads off and they totally didn't and so at the end which is funny at the end of the flight you get people just overwhelming you with this flowery language like oh they were so great i'm like yeah because they didn't bother you on the plane like that's why you're comfortable enough to talk um so that was good it was the actual airport Mm. which was a nightmare yeah it was one two three four suitcases a stroller i've heard this about traveling with kids and two car seats because we had to rent a car when we were there yeah and i just i I guess somewhere in my mind i was like oh well people do this all the time so it can't be that hard forgetting that when we're moving around uh britney was going to be the one responsible for watching the kids and i had naturally i had to do the heavy lifting and then i realized like i physically can't handle this all by myself and so what we ended up doing was, uh, you know, the little push carts you can rent, right? I know them well. <laughs> I got two of them. And I just dispersed our baggage and car seats on each one. And with one hand, I pushed a cart. And with the other hand, I pulled pull? it from behind oh. me. Do you have images? I don't. Um, I have because images. Because hands were full of children and your hands were full of luggage. Right, right. And, and so those images will be implanted in my brain forever. It's implanted in mine. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't there. But... It was just, and then so the thing that made the thing that made it comical was that when you land in Hawaii and you go to the rental car, it's not like the the rental car service is right there. You have to take a shuttle. Uh-huh. So I get off the plane, we go to baggage claim, get all of the bags that we had, buy two carts, like five bucks a piece, like ten bucks, get two carts, put the luggage on, just to get across the street to the shuttle. Because I don't want to leave my bags anywhere unattended because it's an airport, people are going to freak out, right? And then and then put the carts away, get the bags onto the bus, get to the rental center, get the bags off the bus, get two more carts so that we could get the bags from the the office where you get the rental taken care of and then to the car. Wow. So like $20 worth of carts and getting our bags from point A to point B and it was absurd. Wow. And then on top of all that, that's not including our carry-ons. So... My son had a carry-on. I had my backpack, and we had kind of a 
more of like a, a carry-on suitcase that had all the toys and stuff that we needed to juggle with them yeah. on the plane just to keep them entertained. And then uh, Brittany had her breast milk for the baby. Wow. This Nightmare. sounds like a, like a comedy special. Like it sounds like it would be an SNL special. I could very easily write an <laughs> SNL sketch around you do it. that, that plane experience. So... Once I, if I find the time, that might that might be happening. Yeah, 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 and all your infinite time. <laughs> and I think that you know, between the two of us, if any of you out there have your own air travel nightmare stories, send them our way. Yeah, seriously. That would be, we would marvel and we would relate with you. We would uh, sympathize with uh, with your pain. Absolutely. Wow, my jaw is like still on the ground imagining that luggage juggle. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I thought we were, I mean, we traveled just the two of us with two carry-on suitcases. That was it. That's all we had, and it felt difficult. Must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Must be really nice. But uh, no, it, we, we had a good time, and it's all about mindset. Yeah. And we, yeah, we got ourselves, as I'm sure you guys did, we got ourselves in a position where, you know, you have to be thankful for what you have, thankful for the opportunities, and just know that things turn up, and they did. Yeah. And uh, it was great. Roll really with the time. punches. Well, man, 2019, the school year, 2019-2020 school year is underway. It's underfoot. You are here with us at the Odyssey of Learning podcast. I am Hunter. And I'm Courtney. And we're happy you're here. We're hoping that this year, you know, we, we got things started towards the end of the school year last year, and we had a ton of fun. We're really looking to make this a more regular occurrence. Um, we got a lot of positive feedback, not just from our district partners, but from uh, just complimentary people on Twitter and uh, everywhere else. So uh, we're really excited to continue this work and share our learning with you all. So that said, uh, Courtney, I wanna open up by talking first about, going back to talking about summer, not in the sense of what we did or any mishap stories like that but as an educator there's a certain mindset seasonally when summer comes around that a lot of other professions don't face because you've got kids that kind of saying see ya adios june and then august september rolls around you got a brand new batch of kids there's this sort of metaphorical reset button that happens um even if you're teaching summer school or you're doing a lot of professional development over the summer, there's kind of this, um, there's this transition that happens. So I'd, I'd like it if you'd be open to it, uh, if you wanna share kind of what is your mindset like over the summer? What are, what are some of the ebbs and flows of your transition that gets you to the next school year? Yeah, I think this is a topic of conversation that has since I started my career as an educator felt so close to home because it honestly like the end of the school year feels like whiplash because you go from being a like a teacher an advisor an educator you're standing in front of a room and you're like guiding everyone else's day it's like a huge amount of responsibility both literally and emotionally and then to lose that form of responsibility feels like a surrender to like being yourself again or like being only responsible for taking care of yourself or I suppose, you know, taking care of yourself and your significant other, yourself and your your own children. Um, and, and it takes you out of the headspace of being a teacher and like in some ways it's so warm because it reminds you of like who you are and, and what you value and can kind of connect you back with 
what you want out of life and what some of your personal goals are. But then on the other hand, it makes it incredibly difficult, at least for me to like come back in August and September, because you've had this, like I said, whiplash experience where you go from like being a teacher, being in charge to not having really anything to do in a lot of senses, like professionally. And then you come back in August and it's like, I understand. Have you ever seen like the teacher memes about people like seeing back to school coming? It's like a war is coming or winter is coming. And, and you know, I love my job, but I've had those feelings and not because I'm dreading coming back. It's it just like that, uh, that transition is so challenging for me. And this was honestly the first summer um, out of the three that I've had as an educator where I felt connected to being both an educator and Courtney as a person. Like I felt like I had one foot in each camp in a sense that I wasn't like fully retracting out of being at school in the summer and now I'm like fully diving back in. It's like I've set myself up in a way that I'm connected to the school over the summer through professional development, through staying in touch with you, through reading about education and reading news articles and and listening to podcasts. And then when I've come back to school, continuing to stay in some of those routines that I set up for myself in the summer to continue my own learning and my own interests, my own relationships outside of this place. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, what are you thinking about? It absolutely makes sense. And something you said that actually really resonates with me was around that sort of uh, battle ready mentality uh, that a lot of us sort of takes a lot of mental preparation. And I think that given adequate time to reflect on the emotional stresses of this job, I think that it's only natural we have these inclinations to think of the new school year as this looming cloud of crazy. Like I remember uh, the Tasmanian Devil cartoons, whenever he's doing his super fast thing, it's just this tornado and there's these like objects that just are getting like sucked in and it's chaos. I think from anyone's perspective, it's chaos. And having to, as a human being, mitigate a lot of the emotional stress that is bound to happen. I get myself in this headspace over summer where I, 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 I need that self-care. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need there to be a lot of opportunity for me to uh, take care of myself, just be with my family, um, and, and know that I, I need that reset button to really kind of like almost like purify my my system uh and and help me better prepare because i think that if i don't give myself that opportunity i'm not doing the kids any favors Um, i've been talking a lot over the past year about trying to make sure that i'm giving 100 percent to all the people uh in my life um particularly my my kids here at school and then my kids and my wife at home and that I'm not shortchanging either because I know that what I'm doing here in the classroom can have a profound impact on a young person's life. Um, and I don't, I, want, I don't want to sacrifice any of my time with my family to make that, nor do I want to sacrifice any time with my students um, to, to, to kind of keep everyone at bay in, in my own personal life. I think that there's this t- real tension that we as educators have to reevaluate over the summer. And I've been doing a lot of that. Totally. Uh, this year, but it's and, been it's been healthy. It's been yeah, good. yeah, totally. And I, and and I also feel like there's a tension between like 
you as an individual and your identity as an educator that like gets played with a lot in the summer and gets played with a lot when you come back to school um, to where it's easy when you're in session in school to feel like I am a teacher. That is who I am. That is my identity. But then you lose sight of like, but I'm also a husband or a wife and I'm also a best friend and I'm also a sister or a daughter or a brother, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think like you're saying, it, it's so valuable to have those, that time to step away, to recalibrate and like reset to be the best you you can be for all those people. And I think it's important too during that step back to not step so far back that you like forget what it means to be a teacher. I don't know, like, I guess that's where I'm coming from, is like, I, I really valued the step back, you know, like going out hiking in nature, going to Europe, like not looking at my phone for two weeks. But I, I also need during the summer to feel connected to the work in a sense that it's like, when I come back, it's not like I haven't looked at it since June. Right. And, and I have, I don't know if you get these feelings too, but even during the school year, when we, when we leave for winter break, just those two, three weeks that were gone. Every time I get back, I, I walk around this place. I'm like, I don't remember the last time I was here. <laughs> what is this place? It's, it's a kind of this like weird foreign feeling to, to walking around a school after you've been only gone for a couple of weeks. And that's especially true yeah. over the summer. Totally. Um, it's, I have to commend, I do have to take this moment to commend our facilities staff uh, in the district and everyone responsible for getting our signs Oh, uh, yeah, they look so campus. nice. Our school looks beautiful. We've got some really, really cool signage now. Uh, it used to kind of just be the temporary banner things, but you're a new school. you gotta yeah. got to have something put up and understood. But um, just the, the visual uh, look, the, the, and the, it's so clean looking. Mm -hmm. um, I think it looks really great. Uh, but then again, I got here on campus. I was like, that's new. That's new. All these things are different. There's a, We got a greenhouse on campus now. Like, what? What's happening? What is this totally. place? But I think with the with that reset, everything that we do as educators to get ourselves in a space where we are going to be serving our kids the best as possible, there's also excitement. And uh, Courtney and I had the opportunity to meet a couple times over the summer to start talking about our curriculum in 10th grade. We are moving up to teach 10th grade uh, English as well as world history. Um, so kind of doing some double duty um, with both of those, but then building a curriculum around the theme of this year, which is environmental sustainability. I actually think it's more broadly global sustainability mm -hmm. and environmental sustainability is a big part of it. But I made the, I like said the same thing and then I looked at it and I was like, environmental is not fully encompassing of global, global sustainability. And we got a lot of stuff lined up that would certainly reflect that in terms of what we plan on studying. Um, thankfully, the flexibility of our curriculum lends itself to making the learning and the research, all of the studying around what's going on today and how our history has informed that. Um, we're gonna be talking about a lot of global things uh, in order to make that possible. So as we sit here recording this podcast, we're in my classroom and right next to us, um, we're, we're looking at a whiteboard that still has our planning uh, and, and everything that we're going to be covering. So within sustainability, global sustainability, um, just within trimester one in our courses, we have a couple of, of big tasks, uh, big ticket items that we're going to be guiding our scholars through. 
Um, and the thing, the one that I think I'd like to start with is the comparative essay. Love it. Do you want to tell us about the comparative essay, Courtney? Sure, I can try to cliff notes it. It's such a big assignment. It has so many components, um, but I'll try to make it brief. Go for it. Okay. Uh, comparative essay. Our scholars are going to be in groups of four, and they're going to be looking at two different groups of individuals. They're going to compare, comparative essay, the way those two groups of individuals interact with the earth. So one group they're going to look at is a pre-colonial, so before colonization, indigenous group of individuals, pre-colonial indigenous group, and how they interact with the earth uh, through maybe, let's say, farming or energy or fishing or family structure, gender roles. So they're going to identify like one lens with which to view pre-colonial indigenous group. Then they're going to compare a post-colonial modern day group in the same lens. So we might be looking at, say, the Dakota Access Pipeline conflict, and they'll examine the Sioux Native American tribe and their relationship with energy, and then they'll look at the modern-day kind of conflict that, that's come around the Dakota Access Pipeline and the way that post-colonial modern groups view energy. So they're going to explore those two uh, concepts really deeply through those two groups and then compare how the two of them relate to the way those groups interact with the Earth. Beautiful. I wish I could draw a visual. <laughs> no, beautiful. I think okay. that, that captures it really well. Why are you excited about it? I'm, I'm excited because I love history. And something that I've really, um, I guess, struggled with as an educator and being, I've only taught at schools like this one. I, I've never taught in the context of a comprehensive high school. But I grew up in a comprehensive high school, and being the lover of history that I am, those were my favorite classes because I was learning about practically everything, um, especially in my world history class where you, you're bouncing all over the world and you're learning about different cultures, left, right, and, and, uh, and it was just so profoundly interesting to me. But in this context uh, at our STEM school, when we look at world history, we're not going to be looking at, I guess, what you would consider to be canonical historical events. Like I remember when I was in world history in high school, we had like a month of World War One, World War Two. That's all we talked about all the time. And it's highly possible that we don't talk about either of those twos in depth at all this year. Not because we're making the active decision not to, but more because we're focusing so much on student-centered learning that it's possible that that's just something a scholar's not necessarily engaged in and, and they're choosing not to do that. And with the comparative essay, giving them the flexibility to select their own indigenous population to do research on, that's only one indigenous population. They're gonna be missing out on so much more. And so there's like a sincere part of me that's like, ah, oh, we're not giving them the content. Like, the content's so important. World War One, World War Two, Cold War, uh, American Revolution, French Revolution, like just the the foundation of democracy, ancient Greece as we know it. Like that part of me is just screaming internally that we're not doing that. But we live. I have to remind myself. We live in a time where none of that information is out of reach. If you were in a position where you genuinely needed to know very like important details from World War One, World War Two. The internet's there. Google is there. Like you can access that information readily. 
and we're not about learning rote knowledge, rote memorization of facts and dates and events. We're focused on the skills. We're trying to impart skills on scholars that they can use so that they can look at these events on their own. Um, that doesn't mean that I still, I still like, ah, like they need to know about this. They need to know about this. And maybe in passing, I talk about it. But um, I think what we're doing is far more important in terms of building long-term success. Um, especially you think about post high school, getting into college and sort of the expectations of skill. You know, if, if a professor is talking about an event from World War II that maybe they're assuming you know, but you didn't study, you can look it up. Listen to what they're talking about, fill in the blanks on your own. But if you can, in this case, if you can write a comparative essay that looks at two cultures and makes an effective breakdown of their, you know, conflict and, and what that looks like today, I think we're doing, I think we're doing our job. Totally. Yeah. yeah and I also think that it's, uh, it shouldn't go unsaid that in this model of student-centered learning, the classroom structure is set up to where not only are advisors or teachers holders of knowledge and information, but the scholars will learn from each other. And so say if we're in my group studying, like I said, the Dakota Access Pipeline and, and Hunter and his group are studying uh, South Pacific indigenous cultures and how it relates to modern day tourism in Tahiti, like during his presentation time with his group, I'm going to do so much learning and be able to see like, wow, these people were passionate about this and they were able to draw really interesting and unique conclusions. Um, and then that learning is, is so rich because it doesn't come to us passively, you know, or just um, because we ought to know it or someone said we ought to know this, like it, it comes from genuine interest and can continue to spark curiosity even after this assignment is completed. Right on. A lot to look forward to, a lot to be excited about. So if we look at the comparative essay as the really capstone work that they're going to be doing in trimester one, there's a lot of other things in between. So let's just kind of quickly go over maybe one additional element from the school year that we have planned so far that we're really excited about. Do you want to start? Sure. Go for um, it. Wow. I'm really excited about the online portfolio. Tell me more about this online portfolio. The online portfolio is going to serve as a internet-based landing spot for our scholars to put anything and everything that they find interesting about themselves they want to put out into the world. So in some ways, it'll serve as like an official portfolio of a work where they can put their writing, they can put their photography, they can put their scientific findings, they can put their internship projects. Uh, and then in other ways, it'll serve as, as just a really cool dialogue and conversation to think about uh, identity and how we choose to put ourselves out into the world uh, to be seen by others, potential employers, peers, uh, family, etc. Um, I just, you know, as someone that, that lives in California, the only member of my family that lives in California, I do a lot of online connecting with my friends and family to stay like up to date on their lives and, and then mine and have subsequently done a lot of thinking about, you know, who, who am I online and, and who am I building an online presence for and because, and I'm really excited to have those kind of honest conversations with our scholars so that they can view the age of internet and the age of their uh, relationship with it in a way that is positive, academic, structured, and most of all, intentional. I'm, How about you? I'm looking, I mean, yes, I'm looking forward to that as well. And maybe possibly 
uh, jump-starting my own online portfolio that I maybe haven't managed in a year or two. Uh, but I'm also really looking forward to uh, something we actually talked about last week when we started to meet with our new colleagues here at Odyssey. Uh, we made a pretty focused effort at trying to bridge the content in our courses so that we were actively making reference, if not implicitly, explicitly, to the work that the scholars are doing elsewhere, helping them see that, listen, what you learn in this room is not learned in isolation. It has applications that are far ranging. And so when we sat down with them last week and we had um, we had them map out what it was that they were gonna be doing throughout the, the first trimester anyway, to be able to start making the links between what we're doing and what how that's gonna be complemented in the other classes is something I'm really excited about. I don't think we necessarily did the best job of that last year. I, I think we did decent, like I'm happy. We stayed afloat. We floated, yeah. But looking at what we've set ourselves up with, um, so for example, with the comparative essay um, in the sustainability complex, which is where our greenhouse is, we're gonna have an aquaponics system. I hear we're getting a pizza oven. There's just a lot of stuff going on over there. Um, we spoke with our colleague, Paul, who's in charge of that area. And he was talking about how one of the things they're gonna be talking about is a study of kind of conventional, what we'd call conventional farming versus more modern, what we're seeing a lot more of today in organic farming. So really understanding the resources it takes to make agriculture possible and how that has evolved over time. And man, the more and more Paul, Paul talked about that conventional, organic, indigenous, post-colonial, the, the parallels between those two, I think are gonna be so beyond helpful for our kids in helping them understand not only a very social historical context for what they're learning, but the the modern kind of moving into the future applications of this information and all the hands-on stuff they're gonna be doing just on the other side of our quad here is pretty awesome. And I'm really looking forward to that. Ditto. Uh, we love you, Paul. Yeah, Paul is the best. All of our new colleagues yeah, are- Yeah, they really are. Incredible. We're I, so lucky. We, we're outnumbered in that only three of us are here from last year, you, me, and Alice. But Paul, our sustainability coordinator, uh, and a whole bunch of new- Cast of characters. Cast of characters. That's a great way. Um, they love this place already. And the buy-in that they express now makes me feel so much better about what this year is going to look like for mm. us. Because I know from experience that if you want the culture to be sustained, you got to have buy-in. You can't just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess this is what we do. You know, there's there's got to be that level of enthusiasm there. And, and I'm commitment. definitely picking that up from, from this crew. I'm getting totally. a lot of good vibes. What about you? Yeah, me too. And, you know, I just keep coming back to this idea that like, while we have been here for a year, which puts us in a place of uh, like maybe more deep understanding of the, the systems that we're working in and our experiences can kind of guide us into what worked for us and, and what we struggled with last year. Like we still have so much to learn uh, about like best practices and, and ways to be more student centered and more project based and more cross curricular. And I'm, I'm really excited about learning from our new colleagues about what context they come from what ideas they're generating like they are s already such innovative thinkers and uh, I'm just really looking forward to continuing to learn uh, from and alongside them 
I, I, I'm really appreciative of Alice earlier this morning taking the moment to be like, just so you guys know, yes, we've been here for a year. No, we don't have all the answers. Not all the answers Not at all. even close. Frequently and, frazzled. Yeah, frazzled. That that might be the word I know, of, of the, the year. It's, <laughs> of the year uh, of the week. <laughs> of the year, of week, month, whatever you want it to be. That's been that's been a re- recurring theme. But um, I appreciated that she articulated that because this, as we've talked about on the podcast before, is an ever-evolving process. We are constantly learning, shifting things around, trying to make it work, and constantly reflecting on those practices and deciding what do we do? How do we move forward? Is, is this the next best right thing to do? And, uh, and the more we're able to communicate as a staff to do that, which I think we're going to be able to do pretty effectively this year with the, with the crew that we have, um, there's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, the so. name of the game is flexibility. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, we have a couple minutes left before uh, we get pulled into uh, another uh, pre-school planning meeting. Um, let's talk about first four. We're, we're going to be welcoming kids back in a couple of days here at a Odyssey. A couple, two. What was it? Say it again. Two days. Two days. Yeah, yeah. Two days. And I guess that's a couple. A couple. And we're not even going to talk about school. For four whole days. Courtney, tell, tell us why. Why are we not? What's going on? What are we doing? We're building culture. We're doing all this really important ground laying work of creating a community that values fun, that values collaboration, that values generative thinking and um, yeah, getting to know each other. And so the first four have been artfully and thoughtfully designed uh, by Muriel, our school social worker, who we could sing praises about for a whole hour probably. Amazing. Muriel, we love you. Amazing. Um, but Muriel and Keith and Becky work very closely with her, and, and we uh, contributed feedback last year. But essentially for four days, uh, we're going to be working exclusively with a small group of scholars that are our advisory. So each advisor will work with about 20 to 25 young people, uh, and they're going to be working on building family for the first four days of school. Uh, and then, I guess, as families do on the last day, we're going to fight. I mean, not literally fight. We're going to have an Olympics, like a mock Olympics. So there's going to be competitive spirit. Uh, I get a little too competitive, so it's, hence my use of the word fight. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a, a way to connect, to get to know each other, to ground ourselves in uh, our mission and vision statement, and to address some like really kind of intense and vulnerable things right off the bat. Like, you know, how do your words have the potential to affect others, or how does you know, what you wear to campus influence the way you think about yourself and about your learning. Um, so kind of doing some of those nuts and bolts, a ton of fun, a ton of games, a ton of community building. Um, the main purpose of like, you cannot learn alongside people that you don't know. So let's get to know them. I think we always have the tendency to fall back on our past high school experiences. And I remember when I was in high school, um, just having the feeling that, you know, I don't know if every teacher at the school really cares about me <laughs> and and that wasn't just true for the teachers that I didn't have in class but some some teachers that I was in their classroom and and I think part of that is there really was no devoted time to building those relationships it was like strictly student like teacher getting down to business professional yeah just a very like cut and dried relationship and the ones that I grew close to were kind of more just coincidence. Like maybe 
I, I happened to be in their room a little bit later and they just happened to ask me how my weekend was. And then suddenly I felt, oh, like this is a person I can trust. Like this is, this is a person that I, I enjoy being in their classroom. Um, whereas I think that's such an important part of what we do is not only do we want all of us to be or potentially be that person for, for a child, but make sure that they know that we're like, we're not just here for to, to do the classroom give you thing. information like you're a person i'm a person and we enjoy person things and the more we're able to relate to each other um, and understand each other where we're coming from i think that's what makes the first four so valuable as a tool for us to get odyssey kicking in the right gear uh, as we begin our second full year uh, in action here in lakewood california crazy Paramount, unified so yeah, we're back. We're back, baby. Feels good. It feels really good. I, I'm like, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling so grounded in our mission and our goals. And uh, I think we're, we're out here changing the world. Yeah, man. And frazzled, but in the best way possible. Frazzled in the best way possible. That might be my new like memoir title. That's- frazzled. In a good way. I'd buy it. The Courtney Wright story. I'd buy it. (laughs) Absolutely. What do you think? Do this again next week? I think so. All right. This has been the Odyssey of Learning. I'm Hunter. And I'm Courtney. See you guys next time. Bye-bye.